How can we help you, officer? Dick Jones is wanted for murder. This is absurd! That thing is a violent mechanical psychopath! My program will not allow me to act against an officer of this company. Serious charges? What is your evidence? I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I want a chopper! Now! We will walk to the roof very calmly. I will board the chopper by hostage. Anybody tries to stop me? The old geezer gets it. Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Sequel. Re re reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. This is Ruined Childhoods and Dead or Alive. You're coming with us. Though we have to assume that you're alive since you're listening to a podcast. I'm John, joined as always by my brother Dan. Dan, how's it going? Uh, it's going all right, John. How are things over there? Doing good. Uh, have you been enjoying any good popular culture lately? Oh, man, have I well, been enjoying... Well, good enjoy- or bad, I should, I should say. I, I mean, have I just been enjoying any popular culture? Um, well, let's see. Outside of the RoboCop... Uh, trilogy. Well, you know, I I think uh, when we recorded our last episode, it was the eve of the series finale of Barry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, definitely watched that and love uh, Barry. So yeah, good. I mean, I'm usually if I'm hooked into a series. Here's the thing about me. Like, there's always a lot of, you know, it's like the final episode of a series. Always, there's so much pressure. For me, if I'm hooked into the series and if I'm into this, if I'm like into the show, I will find the reasons why the series finale works. Okay. For me. And I, because it's just, I mean, like, I remember Sopranos and everyone was like, what was that? And I was just like, ah, it makes sense to me. And, you know, it's just organized crime will never end. It just, it goes on and on and on and on. So don't stop believing. What I really like about the show Barry, well, one of the yes. things that I like about it a lot is that it it brings you in in the first season with a simple concept a hitman who has become a hitman out of necessity has a job where he has to take out somebody who's an actor at an acting class becomes completely uh over involved with this acting class and decides to rather pursue acting than killing and it sets up a world with characters like Fuchs and Noho Hank. Uh, Fuchs, Steven Root, part of the Robocop universe. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, it, it it shows you these these fun, strange characters. 
And the the journey that the show brings you on over the course of what was it three seasons four four seasons over the four course seasons, of four seasons it takes you to a place where it's just like all right well we we got you with that premise and now we're taking you somewhere really wild and by the right. very end it it wraps things up in a way that is I think. It could be satisfying for somebody who's a serious TV watcher, somebody who's maybe looking for more, you know, depth and meaning behind these character arcs. And it also works for somebody who's there for the performances and for the silly characters like NoHo Hank. So I thought that it was very effective. And the the fourth season, I think, even though it had a much more serious tone than some of the other ones had some of those moments in there that were just a real delight. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it didn't, I I felt like there was still the, the comedy, but yeah, the fourth season took one of the, one of those, like, I feel like it's, I don't want to say textbook, but kind of like a, you know, one of those, like, this is something you can do to make a season of your, of your show interesting. And I don't want to say too much, but I was like, they did it. They took that, but I felt like they they made it work, not so much like, all right, it's the fourth season. We need to change things up. What gimmick can we use? But like what makes sense for this story and these characters? And I think that what they decided to do made, um, you know, a lot more sense, especially if you're trying to not just keep doing you know, same old, same old, which in that transition, what Barry did um, similarly to, you know, shows like Breaking Bad, um, I felt really took you where you look at a character in the last season and then you think of where they started out and you're like, wow, this person, they're not a totally different person. They are that person, but they are that person having grown and developed from the experiences that we've seen and have they might not have grown or developed into in the case of Breaking Bad, you know, <laughs> grows and develops into, you know, it's kind of a monster. Yeah. And and I did recently rewatch all of Breaking Bad uh, because I caught up fully with Better Call Saul and was like, well, there's nothing left to do right now except go back to where it all started. (laughs) And so we could talk certainly about Breaking Bad and Barry a lot longer than we have. (laughs) I I could tell you, so I haven't had a chance to get into any other uh, pop culture, but I can tell you some things that are kind of on my radar. Uh, Kind of interested about Flame and Hot. What's Flame and Hot? <laughs> Flame and Hot is Ava Longoria's uh, featured debut, oh. featured directorial debut, um, and it is about the invention of Flame and Hot Cheetos. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I might actually. I was thinking about showing it um, for those who don't know. My day job, I'm a high school teacher, and you know we're towards the end of the year, so movie days are kind of a thing. While I'm like catching up on grading, so I was thinking of showing it, but um, that looks. Uh, it's kind of one of those, I feel like you got that one, you got the Bluetooth or Blackberry movie right now that I'm... Yeah, there's a lot of like origin story, nostalgia origin Air. story things. Yeah. Well, also like, I mean, I, I don't know if this is... Tetris? Uh, well, there's Tetris, but I, there's, I don't know if it's happening or not, but Jerry Seinfeld's Pop-Tarts movie. Oh, yeah, I saw something about that. Or I, I heard something about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's there that's that's a hot thing right now. There's a there's a series where I guess I wasn't that into the series Seinfeld, but I was like, yeah, not fond of that finale. But we're not here to talk about that's a whole uh, that's a whole other thing. Oh yeah, Unfrosted the Pop-Tart story. A Netflix all, film. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're all a Netflix film that stars James Marsden, which brings me to my one more thing that I have for oh. our Truman Show episode. I can't believe that I didn't mention, or that neither neither of us mentioned the show Jury Duty, that's on Freevee. Have you heard much about Jury Duty? Have you seen it? No, oh, there's a good Dan. reason why I didn't talk about. It. Oh, Dan, have you heard of it at all? I think I've okay. seen it come up on like things. But you know what it is. I know it's a show called Jury Duty okay. and I'm assuming it's not based on the Pauly Shore. No, movie. it's not. So okay. it is. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there are more eloquent ways of uh, summarizing this, but it is a, uh, a, I guess a documentary style reality show about the, about a jury and a, the jury duty process where everybody in it is an actor except for one person. And when I say actor, meaning they are playing somebody that's a participant in this documentary. The only person who's playing themselves is James Marsden, who's playing an, an elevated version of the egotistic celebrity James Marsden. But there is one guy named Ronald who thinks that he's just part of a regular documentary about the jury duty process, but mm-hmm. all of these crazy things keep on happening. And he does not realize the extent to which he is being documented and that his life is being followed and that everything around him is being, without him knowing, custom tailored to his experience. So it it comes up a lot in the conversation about The Truman Show because oh, yeah. this is somebody who actually had unbeknownst to him, a show about him. He went into it thinking that he was just one of many people who was part of this thing, including the judge, who was an actor, the bailiff, Mm -hmm. who was an actor. And uh, the way, and lucky for them, this guy, Ronald, was, he's a star. He's amazing. He seems to be the sweetest guy. At the time of this recording, nothing problematic has come out about him, but he seems to be the sweetest guy. And uh, yeah, (laughs) the way that he did everything was just perfect. And I highly recommend watching it. But ever since, I've seen a lot of interviews with him since it has ended and aired. And this guy, Ronald, has become just like an overnight celebrity. And uh, he expresses the you know, concerns that he has every day, not knowing, like, how do I know this is my real life now? Or if this situation is not a hidden camera situation in which I'm being followed, like it is a legitimate, you know, if it were to be a case of the, uh, the, the Truman show, I I forget exactly what they call what they call it, but the the actual fear that you're being, you know, oh, in, yeah. that you're part of a television show that's all about you. That's a hidden camera thing, but uh, it's a legitimate concern for him. And uh, uh, he's talked about how he's like, you know, he'll shoot a text over to like James Marsden and be like, "Hey, I'm doing this, and I don't know is this real?" Like, and, and James Marsden is just like. 
everything is real. You're the, everything it's done. It's done. There's yeah. no more. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a, I, I feel, I feel for the guy. That's a lot <laughs> to take on, but I, I, I can't believe that I forgot to bring that up on the last episode. Well, John, if we're going to bring up the example of jury duty as a very similar to The Truman Show, we also have to mention that it sounds like this is not also the first time that that concept has been done, minus the jury duty aspect. Mm -hmm. I referenced The Joe Schmo Show from 2003. I was talking about this with somebody just the other day. Yeah. So, yeah, again, a reality show. It was, you know, a staged reality show where one person is not an actor and they think they're on a reality show and right. everybody else is an actor. Yes. Uh, and that, that's that got, like, I mean, David Hornsby, who's in Always Sunny, Mythic Quest, he was on there. Yeah. Uh, Kristen, Kristen Wiig, Wiig was in it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was 2003. I mean, yeah, like... <laughs> It's it's funny because yeah you you look at the the people on there um, I think Lance Crawl um, sounds familiar to me but yeah it's kind of like all of these people would not have been able to do this show uh, oh, a couple yeah. of years later they would have been too recognizable but yeah um, yeah two thousand three they did three seasons oh three oh four and mm-hmm. then a third in two thousand thirteen oh they did a third one yeah yeah um, yeah well anyway it's kind of amazing that you know there are there are these things these examples like that and taking place during a time of such you know social media hysteria uh jury duty was a a big sensation on the uh on tiktok and and all over social media it was everybody just fell in love with this guy ronald Mm -hmm. yeah cool i'll have to check that out yeah and and Dan, I wanted to mention a show that I actually just finished watching that we have talked about on this show when it was just being announced and when the, the trailer came out, but I watched the Fatal Attraction series. Oh, how was have, it? Have you have you not seen any of it? I have not seen any of it. What well, I went in very skeptical and I came out of it really enjoying what they did with it. I what I felt they did right with it is they, you know, because it's a series, it's hour long episodes. I think there's maybe like eight or nine of them. And because it has the time to go in and give you more context for the Alex character, you know, the the femme fatale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like I, uh, you know, you get a little bit more background, a little bit of an explanation. You get to see uh, some of her past experiences that uh, have some questionable behavior. There were times where mm. I liked Joshua Jackson in the Dan Gallagher role. There are times where I didn't so much care for him. And I think that that just is because uh, as a, you know, a Dawson's Creek uh, <laughs> a guy who, you know, grew up on Dawson's Creek, uh, it's hard for me to see him in uh, such you just can't get your brain roles. off the creek, can you? Man? Uh, yeah, I'm just living what on about that Michelle, creek. Man. But 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 I but do you have that same thing with Michelle Williams? No, because she wasn't like a major. I, I don't know. I think that Pacey was more of a character, and Michelle Williams' character. I think it was Jen. Jen she. Yeah. I don't know. She was more like. I don't know. She was. Well, she was the bad girl it, it, and Katie Holmes was the was like yeah. the good girl. But it was I, the four of them. But I think that Joshua Jackson, because before then it was Mighty Ducks 
And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. He was just like, you didn't watch Fringe. I did watch Fringe, but that was after Fringe. Dawson's okay. Creek. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Did you have the same problem during Fringe or? Uh, no, because that show was ridiculous. Uh, I think that because <laughs> uh, Fatal Attraction, it's a very dramatic, serious show. You know, yeah. it takes a different tone. I will say that the end is very surprising. They took things in a very different direction. And I was like, huh, really? Okay. All right. Is that is that because you think like they're going to are they going to continue it? No, 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 no. no. But uh, I, I mean, they could. I don't see how they could because it really is the story of, you know, the the death of Lizzie Kaplan's character. And, oh, I, okay. and I did so, really like Lizzie Kaplan in it. Uh -huh. You know, there were definitely some moments that, you know, she's. You know, bringing on the the Glenn Close of it all, but there are also moments where she's giving it something different, and I really appreciated that. Uh, we've talked about how she has a more prominent career that makes more sense with Dan, the Dan Gallagher character. Like, there's more reason for them to be interacting. Um, yeah, so I enjoyed it. I I mm. recommend it. It's just really fun. Okay. And, and you know, that actually reminds me, I just saw, I think yesterday had not been aware that there, that, um, I think on Hulu is going to be a full Monty. Oh yeah. Series. I saw that. Oh, yes. Wait. One more thing. <laughs> I have a, one more thing about the thing that I just mentioned. I will say also Toby Huss is in it and is fantastic. He, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's the Stuart Pankin, you know, character, um, the store Pankin character, which, which like who worked yeah. with uh, uh, Michael Douglas, but he plays like, you know, a, I guess an investigator that's friends with Dan Gallagher. Toby Huss okay. uh, is in absolutely everything. He, for me, oh, yeah. uh, growing up was already the strongest man in the world on the adventures of Pete and Pete. But uh, <laughs> for a lot of other people... You know, he's just in every single television show. He's in every single like prestige drama <laughs> that he's got that's that, been released he's, in the past like he's 20 definitely, years. Like I just had to Google him and as soon as I saw the picture come up, I was like, Oh right. Like I knew and, and of course and and yes, definitely uh Pete and Pete get, uh but a lot of other things as well. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, that guy. Oh, he's it looks like he's in White House Plumbers, something I've been meaning to watch. Yeah, I haven't watched that either. It makes perfect sense that he'd be in something like that. Like I said, yeah. he's in every yeah. single <laughs> you know, he's just he that that dude works and I'm and I'm glad for it. But uh Dan, speaking of somebody who works, should we talk about that <laughs> Robocop guy that Alex uh Alex Murphy went from one Alex to another? Yeah. <laughs> Let's yes, um, uh, ju uh, just fatal. Um, a fatal attraction to solving to catching criminals. Does a Alex Murphy have a, a fatal attraction to upholding the to law? Upholding the law. <laughs> a fatal attraction to justice. Yeah, Dan, oh, nineteen eighty-seven, Paul Verhoeven, making his U.S. directorial debut. Yeah, RoboCop. Wow, Dan. Can I first tell you? The lengths that I went through to watch, I mean, this is, RoboCop is streaming on Prime right now, but yes. I've seen RoboCop enough, but what yes. I haven't seen is what I have always heard was one of the better commentary tracks 
which was uh, the commentary track for RoboCop. Not the on like any of the Blu-rays or anything like that, but specifically the Criterion DVD that is out of print. So, oh. yes. So I went to, uh, in Portland, we have a, a video store called Movie Madness. They had a copy. But because I never rented from there before, I was unable to take it out because it's an out-of-print DVD. So what I thought was just going to be like a $200 deposit to be able to rent it, instead now they changed it so you have to like rent and return like 12 movies there. And I wasn't able to do that within one week. So what I ended up doing, and this is a pro tip for anybody out there who is who has a hankering for watching RoboCop with this specific commentary... Somebody put it on YouTube, not the movie, just the audio oh. commentary track. And oh, so nice. I I got it to sync up perfectly with the movie on Amazon Prime and the, I had the audio going on YouTube and it was perfect and it was great. And I learned a lot of things and I, I'll, I'll tell you some of those nuggets as we as we move along. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just I'm checking to see because I have the I have the. 20th anniversary DVD and oh actually why is it why is that the tw- I have like yeah I think it's the 20th and it's like a double DVD it's got the director's cut on it yeah and I'm like didn't I didn't look there the is one- there is a, there is audio commentary on there but it's a different one that they did for the Criterion edition Oh, okay. So this one is like exclusive to Criterion. It's, it's Paul Verhoeven, Ed, is it Neumeier? Neumeier? Yeah. The, the writer? Neumeier. Neumeier. Yeah. Uh, and I think the co-producer, uh, whose name Mo- I'm blanking Mor- right um, Dave Davison, something like that? I don't, John, I don't remember. I remember it was close to John Davidson, who I randomly thought about earlier. Okay. Uh, yeah, John. Well, John Davison was the producer who bought the script. I can't. It doesn't um, matter. It could have been Rob Botton who did the the special effects. I, I don't. Uh, anyway, it was not. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, full disclosure: the only movie that I did not even rewatch part of in preparation was the original RoboCop because I have seen it so many times. Do Do you remember the first time seeing it? Your first time seeing it, not anybody's. my first time seeing it. Okay. Um. So for I'll, I'm gonna. I don't remember exactly my first time seeing it. I I must have been a like must have been a VHS rental. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't see it in the theater because I was like you know nine years old. Um. Although I remember being at summer camp. I remember being at, at day camp at Yak Day Camp uh-huh. in Linden, New Jersey. Don't look for um, it. Doesn't exist anymore. That's right. Um, that summer, uh, summer of 1987, if, if if you're a fan of the show, you've heard us uh, sing the praises of 1990, 1987's movies so many times. But I remember a kid. I, I remember his name, Jonathan Pichow. Wow. Saw shout the, out. Shout out to John Pichow, who who like, I guess, family outing to the movies. Uh, They went to see RoboCop. And I remember he came back and was just telling us all about the scene. And this was, of course, because if you're a bunch of 10 year olds, the scene where the um, there are two uh, scenes I'm thinking of right now that it could possibly be. It's almost definitely the first one. The shower scene. Not not shower, locker room scene. Never mind. It's the second guy getting shot in the dick. 
Guy getting shot in the dick. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but through the dress. Yes. Like that was the impression. Like through the dress shoots the guy in the dick. And we're gonna come um, back. We're gonna come back to that scene. Oh, I'm sure. At least once. <laughs> but this that this would. I mean, I remember hearing about that, and just being like, "What is this?" I I I don't know that I necessarily had a lot of interest in it, but I definitely I definitely saw it. At some point, almost definitely on VHS, possibly like HBO. I don't think it was one that I like taped off. T- I don't remember having like a VHS yeah. taped off HBO version. So, so, so I- here, just just going back a little bit to what you were just saying. I feel like summer camp, at least the summer, the type of like day camp that we went to growing up, the the vibe of it was very much a... You know, at the beginning of the day, everybody in a group will huddle together and somebody will share something with the rest of the group that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. <laughs> you know, it's just like sharing, a, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you, you, first of all, you want to tell everybody about all of the fascinating oh, yeah. things going on. And you're also so susceptible to suggestion and you're learning about so much and, you know, at like nine years old, 10 years old, you know, hearing about a movie where a, ro- a robot, a cyborg cop shoots a bad guy in the dick, that sticks with you for life. You remember the guy's, you remember the kid's name. That's amazing. That's, That's amazing. Made an impact. Yeah. Sure did. And definitely, I mean, you know, it was kind of like sold me on on seeing the movie. That, you know, that, yeah. that just wasn't as a nine year old, that wasn't my speed. Um, I mean, granted, I, I as a nine year old, I was also like, you know, my favorite one of my favorite movies at that time were like Amadeus and La Bamba. So I guess maybe not the most typical nine year old, but yeah, but still Robocop was that was a bit much for me. But hey, do you remember your first time seeing it? No, I you know, I'm sure that I saw it plenty in probably the early 90s you know when i would have been around nine or ten um probably vhs tape or an edited for tv version of it on like usa or something uh or whatever network would have been showing an orion mgm picture and it didn't stick with me probably because it was most likely an edited for TV version where I missed all of the good stuff. And it would have only been like 10 minutes. Yeah. It was like a 13 minute movie. Yeah. So, uh, and then certainly as I think probably on DVD, um, maybe early college was when I like actually saw it and was like, Oh shit, this movie rules. And, you know, I think that especially when like, Starship Troopers came out and I was seeing more Paul Verhoeven. It was like, oh, yeah. And then, of course, RoboCop. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Because, you know, RoboCop and Starship Troopers have a lot of similarities. And uh, I, they they kind of work as companion films in a way. Yeah. Uh, similar, similar themes, similar uh, style. Style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And voice. Yeah. So uh, absolutely. Yeah. So why don't I go ahead and synopsize the first RoboCop film from 1987? In the year 2043, Detroit is undergoing some massive changes, mostly at the hands of mega corporation OCP. 
Their plans include, but are not limited to, recreating the entire city and rebranding as Delta City, and also replacing the police force with a, me- with a mechanized option. OCP VP Dick Jones has plans for an entirely automated police, not uh, a police bot. Sorry, my autocorrect changes to police not police bot called Ed 209. But when the prototype goes haywire and kills an OCP employee, power hungry Bob Morton pitches his idea for a cyborg. All he needs is a volunteer to be the human counterpart. Lucky for him, local crime boss Clarence Boddicker and his goons have a fresh kill on their hands, Detroit cop Alex Murphy. Prior to his death, Alex was a family man and an honest cop, recently transferred to a new precinct and partnered with bubblegum-chewing Tuffy and Lewis. But now, Murphy is good only for parts as he becomes a key element of OCP's latest product, RoboCop. On the verge of a strike, the Detroit Police Department has no choice other than a contract with OCP, which puts Murphy back with his originating team. Operating on his own, Murphy follows his three prime directives, serve the public trust, protect the innocent, and uphold the law. But when he confronts one of the men who killed him, Murphy's memory is jogged. He is able to put the pieces together and uncovers his own personal truth. Murphy is now set on a new path to avenge his own death. How cool is that? That's, what a cool I mean, premise. <laughs> it's an it's an awesome premise, but it's, you know, uh the synopsis RoboCop is such a um such a fantastic movie and such a movie that has so much hidden beneath this like concept and yes. this seemingly like, you know, basic, you know, like Dolph Lundgren cable movie. Right concept all due respect to Dolph Lundgren but uh you know there's so much like Starship Troopers uh so much satire yes um commentary humor um that it 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 takes this story which you know it's a interesting story it's a it's a cool story um but makes it a so much more and uh, it's very prescient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, just focus on a few things that I uh, wrote down that I learned from the commentary, if you don't mind. Oh, please um, do. And I'm going to try to like find a, an order to these that uh, that makes sense. But it's actually Ed Newmeyer, the Ed uh, from Ed 209, named for him. Ed Newmeyer loosely was loosely inspired by, because at the time they were making Blade Runner. And mm-hmm. he heard that it was, you know, based on Do Robots Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. And it just the concept of Do Robots Dream kind of got him on this path about oh. this cyborg. And there's kind of a a split between Ed Newmeyer and Paul Verhoeven about kind of what the meaning is behind all of this. I you know, they're kind of split between it being like fascism for liberals or it's like one was saying that it's like we should be afraid of uh, we shouldn't be afraid of technology incorporating with our lives because we should just be embracing its inevitability. And uh, if even Ed Newmeyer says it's also a sensitive cyborg with an identity crisis. But uh, Verhoeven was saying that it's not an identity crisis, more that it's a sensitive cyborg who uh, he it's like he's figuring out 
what his purpose is less of an identity crisis and i it was also just really interesting to hear like you know do you know why paul verhoeven was uh chosen to direct this i i don't honestly i have not done my research okay the uh, they went through every director in america and everybody turned it down nobody wanted to touch this so they decided well let's go international and they got all the way through the alphabet to the V's <laughs> until Paul Verhoeven, uh, who, you know, did, you know, he's from the Netherlands. Uh, ne- and, Netherlands, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, had done some work there and everything. And we see him in America now as this director who really goes heavy on the gore and the nudity, I mean, having done Showgirls, that's especially true. And uh, when you hear him kind of talk about why he leans towards the gore, you know, having grown up in the face of World War II, uh, you know, it was right outside of his door. And kind of his ideals of like, especially for his futuristic movies like Starship Troopers and RoboCop as like we recall. And Total Recall, it's like we, yeah, yeah, well, it's like we are past, you know, the ideas of gender and and body sensitivities and we are evolved past that. And I don't know, it's just like when you hear him talk about it, it starts to make sense. (laughs) But uh, he's also just like a really engaging guy. And you can tell like his perspective, like from RoboCop alone, it's like. Yeah, I trust this guy. I trust this guy for a, a satirical film about a, a privately owned police force. Right. And it, it it's so interesting. Uh, a few years ago, I believe the city of Detroit actually did declare bankruptcy. And, oh, yeah. And it's it, well, and also, uh, I think what's what's really, uh, you know, especially prophetic about the film and part of the reasons. And I, I mean, I imagine this was uh, covered in the commentary. I'm looking at it on Wikipedia, but that uh, the producers wanted to move the setting from Detroit. But Newmeyer like insisted on keeping it Detroit because of anticipating the decline of the the car industry i guess it had already started but what they talk about on the commentary track that i found really interesting and why they really wanted detroit for this is because Mm -hmm. after world war ii detroit was the promise of industry and it showed us what we could do you know if we you know pick ourselves up and you know create automobiles and mm-hmm. do this stuff and the reality was that they made garbage automobiles like you know the american cars made in detroit were shit compared to what was coming out of japan or germany and <laughs> yeah and so it's kind of it's an, a, a perfect example of you know the promises made by you know propaganda and, uh, you know, the an entire country's, I don't know, ideals of a future and an American dream that amounted to, to nothing and, and poor quality. And so it was kind of a perfect place to <laughs> to set a movie like this. 
Oh, no, I think it makes perfect, perfect sense. Yeah. And also not like not to mention, you know, you're trying to also now base it once again as the, you know, forefront of of technology and the, you know, like Detroit's next, you know, it's not going to be cars. It's going to be RoboCops. Right. Yeah. Or Ed 209s. Or Ed, two, Ed 209s, whatever type of robotic uh, ai dr- driven well i guess and and that was would it be out of place or out of line for me to jump to the 2014 go right ahead okay so the 2014 remake I, I i wouldn't call it a loose remake it's definitely not like a by the there is no clarence Boddicker. there's no dick jones yeah uh there's like, you know, all none of those characters, but the story of Alex Murphy being a police in this case, he's targeted by the 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 crime lord. Yeah, um, he, he's not just moving into this tough district like he is in the original, uh, you know, where, where he, he, I guess, goes from a, a cushier uh, precinct. Uh, you know, he's kind of already there. He's already in it when they so like Ed 209. At the beginning of the the reboot or remake, Ed two hundred nine is kind of like already a thing, and and the yeah. whole the whole concept, um, this the whole like the controversy is that, um, you know, every other country is you know outsourcing law enforcement to OCP and getting Ed two hundred nines, but the United States won't, and there's the, a senator, and he's saying, well, um, the machine doesn't have the humanity to make life and death decisions for another person. Right. Uh, which is interesting because in, in at my day job in the teaching, I've got students doing debates and one of the debates was on AI development mm-hmm. and they were talking about, um, you know, robotic doctors having in that being th- like a sim- very similar concern with robotic doctors. So they, they talk about that and that's what gives the, you know, kind of, I don't know, owner, president, CEO of, of OCP in this, who's played by Michael Keaton. Yeah. Gives him the idea to take like a lip, like to, to create a cyborg. Well, what's also interesting about the 2014 remake is that along with Michael Keaton's character, who's like an Elon Musk type, if we wanted to kind of categorize him like Jeff Bezos kind of person, yeah, yeah. is that along with him, you also have the Jay Baruchel character who's a marketing executive. So right. a lot of this is a marketing move and uh, it's it has less to do with actually helping people and more to do with, you know, pushing a product. Is is it just me or is Barrowkeld totally doing Christian Slater in the? Uh, he he sounds and acts like Christian Slater. Yeah, but he kind of does that all the time anyway. Uh, I don't. I guess it's it's not quite as geeky. Like he usually does it. Like it's usually a I guess a geekier. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen the BlackBerry movie as I said, but oh right, yeah. And I also what I like about this. So like the 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 21st century like reboots slash franchises. I feel like there's just like this pool of credible older character actors that like, it's like you get three of them and it's kind of like, and, and, and you can get Samuel L. Jackson is like, you just, you get Samuel L. Jackson, you get two more. So they got Samuel L. Jackson in the new RoboCop as, as a, a, like, you know, right-wing TV host, Michael Keaton, as we said, Gary Oldman as the scientist, who, kind of de- the I mean, right, but also, you know, shows up in 
Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you know, playing kind Batman. of like yeah, the oh. Batman reboots. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah, no, no, Gary Oldman's like the reboot all star. Yeah, he's kind of taken the the crown from like Steve Martin. You know, like, uh, oh, he yeah. was just like on a tear doing remakes and reboots in the 90s and the early 2000s. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's you're you're rebooting it. You want to create a new franchise, which, I mean, it didn't happen with this RoboCop, but I'm sure they. I well, mean, this RoboCop, you know, nobody wanted it to happen. It, you know, this was one where, you know, this podcast is called Ruined Childhoods. It's because of the outcry that people say, like, this movie's going to ruin my child. This movie has ruined my childhood. And I think that, uh, you know, you also mentioned Total Recall. So it's like the Total Recall remake, the RoboCop remake. Those were two that were just like, no one's asking for this. And I understand I mean, I did like the RoboCop remake better than the Total Recall remake. And I will say also that there were things about the RoboCop, the 2014 RoboCop, that I did appreciate. I actually, I'm not typically a a big fan of Joel Kinnaman, but I thought that he was fine. I thought that Jackie Earl Haley was fun. Michael K. Oh, Williams yeah. was good. Yeah. Also, it... I think that that movie underscores a little bit better than the original RoboCop, the term that was mentioned earlier uh, in the commentary that I was talking about, fascism for liberals. Because in the 2014 remake, it made me question, okay, a police officer who does not have bias, who does not have racism programmed, could that be a... uh, better way to serve the public trust than you know a human police force and it was like shit that's fascism for liberals exactly and and i thought about that but what's funny is also what i've been learning from all of like my my students and also i was i was chatting with with uh some a programmer yesterday uh, just about like artificial intelligence and how how it can get programmed in because there was like Meta's chatbot yeah. that had made anti-Semitic comments. Well, there and- was the Microsoft Bing one that was trying to get some guy to like leave his wife for it or something. There was like some wild. I mean, thing. there was the National Eating Disorders uh, chatbot that was telling people oh, yeah. to count calories and th- and like like really, but it it it's kind of like it'll do it does what you program it to do. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if it's thinking very logically and you're saying, oh, what should I do to lose weight? The logical, you know, computer response is right. Calories. <laughs> now, Dan, uh, you know, we're talking about the 2014 oh. remake for RoboCop. I'm sorry. Yes. What's up? I also sorry. I just wanted to add a comment about kind of my, my theory as to why these remakes um didn't work and in um or didn't work so well. I thought I agree with you about the 2014 RoboCop, but it's also it comes across as maybe in a slightly like you know above average sci-fi action movie, whereas the original is you know revered as satire. Yes, Total Recall also. I don't think Total Recall goes as satirical, but it, Total Recall also has that same the same tone. And I think it's Verhoeven who puts such a stamp I on I was just movies. gonna say that too. What makes Robocop work is Paul Verhoeven. It's his perspective that really I don't know, the the the, 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 the satire behind it. Because also 
And not to get too far down the line, but like I watched the first episode of the RoboCop TV series, which was written by and also like co-EP'd by Ed Newmeyer. And Dan, I don't I'm not normally a napper, but I took a nice little nap during that. Oh. Because it didn't have the special sauce. It didn't have Paul Verhoeven. It was doing all of the things. It had all of the same elements, but it just didn't gel together. Well, no. And if I need to back that up if for anybody, Total Recall is is the proof because Total Recall wasn't a... It, yes, it was a remake, but it was a re-adaptation. That's true. Of yeah. the, the, the book or the story that Total Recall was was we can remember it for you wholesale um yes. that it was that it was based on and yeah it like it's it's flashy and it's what len weisman directed that or wisseman um who directed live free or die hard oh right yeah yeah so like and it 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 had the pedigree and i think it hewed a bit closer to the original story but again Verhoeven, I pronounce the name, we got to work on that there. He puts that stamp on it that you can't remake. You're not going to get the same thing. You're not going to get the same effect. Well, Dan, I want to mention a very special uh, remake that does have a little bit of that Paul Verhoeven special sauce that was also that was made in response to uh, the 2014 remake. Dan, are you familiar with the, uh, I guess you could call it a film, Our RoboCop remake? You're looking with blank stares right now. So I'm going to tell you, in 2014 or 2013, the website Channel 101, which was, you're familiar with Channel 101, so it's a sketch comedy video, uh, you know, outpost where, you know, they you know, outsource their own content. It's not like you can just upload whatever, but, or maybe you can, but it's, you know, more curated. You used to, you, I don't know if you still can. I don't know if it still I, exists anymore. I mean, I remember back in like, we're like, like late mm-hmm. aughts, you know, looking at it. Yeah. And, and, so I think the yeah. channel 101 was what brought you things like Yacht Rock. So there were people who actually had like a little bit of, you know, panache behind what they were doing. And you would see people in their, in their videos that were just like, Oh, Hey, isn't that the guy from X, Y, and Z. And so what they did is they found a whole bunch of sketch video creators to remake every single scene of the original Die Hard movie. And what became most well known about this Remake. I mean, there there's a lot of great directors. I mean, Eric Appel does uh, a really great uh, segment in it. I believe he does the scene where uh, RoboCop's like being tweaked, and you see it all through his like Robo vision. And there's like the New Year's party, and in this version, it's like this New Year's party just gets like really out of hand, and like John Gemberling shows up as just like this party guy who's just like you know <laughs> having a party, and it's like, what is this robot guy? <laughs> like, what's the deal? <laughs> and um, there's a really funny segment. The uh, that's the scene where. Murphy and Lewis are in the steel mill at the end and they're like having a heart heart and he takes the like, you know, the facade off and you just see the like skin pulled back over the robotics and it's Randall Park as RoboCop and 
It's so funny. And he's like having Lewis like, you know, take things off. And there's like an area where it's just like exposed brain or whatever. And then he's like, take off the back panel. And and he's like, what's there? And she's like, and it's like a sublime tattoo. It's so good. But what this is most well known for is what is, uh, it's scene 27. And scene 27, Dan, is the scene where RoboCop makes his first bust which is the rapists in the alley whose dick he shoots. And uh, it was created by the uh, the comedy team Fatal Farm, which uh, I know best from their work with Lasagna Cat, which is these amazing Garfield-themed uh, videos, one of which is a five-hour-long, uh, like 10 years in the making, really bizarre, I I can't even begin to explain it but it's if you look up fatal farm lasagna cat it's absolutely thrilling and they've gone on to do a lot of commercial work and television work i think they did some stuff for i think you should leave the you know tim robinson show and uh they did like old spice commercials that with widen and kennedy and they directed this very high production value version of that scene in robocop that is so goddamn funny it starts off the same exact way there's this woman with this like you know curly blonde hair and these guys are they're threatening to cut the hair and then you know go under her dress and cut the hair and then robocop shows up and it's actually like i think they hired what i hear is they hired an actual like robocop like career like robocop impersonator so he sounds very much like Peter Weller, and he has like a actual suit that he made that's like, you know, film equivalent, essentially. And he shoots the guy in the dick, and then two other rapists show up with another woman. And one of them has his pants down and a like prosthetic penis, and Robocop shoots that guy in the dick. And all of these guys come up with their exposed <laughs> genitalia and you see them all like squibbed out and whatever getting mm-hmm. shot and like blood pouring out. And <laughs> it's so Dan, it is so good. I'm going to link to the video <laughs> in the episode's description. Yes. Uh, you can watch the entire thing on Vimeo, but scene 27 is groundbreaking. I remember being sent this, you know, years and years ago and every now and then it pops up again and it's so good it's and and it's just like it it's a it it brings things to a a screeching halt when you're watching because like you know some of them are like you know some directors like and do like crude animation for some of the scenes and then like you get to this scene and it's like wildly different from all the others Mm -hmm. and it's like whoa they just absolutely went for it and each one you know they use different actors in all of the scenes and everything but it just works and it's you know it's very silly and a lot of fun so that was in response to the 2014 remake being made they're just like well why don't we just do it and here's what we got (laughs) and it's so good nice i'll have to check that out that sounds funny Oh man. All right. Yeah. So, so the original RoboCop, like groundbreaking, I made, I made money like, you know, yeah. for a hard R uh, sci-fi action Very movie. hard R. Yeah. Um, you know, made good money. And I think it's only like grown in its appreciation 
since 1987. Well, what's also what's amazing about it is that it's an R-rated movie that I th- I mean this could never happen now, but like it's an R movie that kids are talking about at summer camp at nine years old or whatever, and the, it's you know it's a total like lunchbox action figure movie, Halloween costume movie, like. It, it becomes it it yeah it, it it becomes maybe not not right away. Um, well, that does that bring us to RoboCop two? I think it brings us to to RoboCop two. Okay. Um, I I just wanted to get. Uh, I'm like, wait a second. When did the RoboCop cartoon start? I want to say that was after RoboCop two. Uh, 1988. Oh, so yeah, before RoboCop two. <laughs> Yeah, and it was it aired as part of the Marvel Action Universe programming block. So I'm wondering if it, you know, came on the heels of the comics, which oh no, the comics started in '92. Okay. Uh, there was a 1987 black and white magazine adaptation of the film. Anyway, so yeah, RoboCop Two, which is 1990. Then you have, yeah, so RoboCop 1 really brought on the, you know, the animated series. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably because it was just like, hey, this is something. Let's make a kid's thing fast. Yeah. 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 I guess so. Wow. Yeah. Um, So, so RoboCop 2, this one, it's written by Frank Miller, who a lot of people know as the libertarian comic book guy, uh, directed by Empire Strikes Back's Irvin Kirshner. Shall I synopsize? Go right ahead. It's official. The Detroit police have gone on strike and the only scab in sight is RoboCop. And its creator, OCP, continues to have the city of Detroit in its sights with their Delta City aspirations at an all-time high. And in the wake of it all, a new drug called Nuke has hit the streets. And Kane, the drug's manufacturer, is nothing but bad news. And in a turn of events... Kane ends up working with OCP in the form of the next gen of RoboCop called RoboCop 2, which, by the way, I thought was really funny that they just called it RoboCop 2 in the movie RoboCop 2. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't remember any other. I, I'm like, I, I know that there's other examples of that, um, but I could not remember off the top of my head like th- those examples but like the one that keeps coming to mind and i know it's not exactly that is like is ghostbusters 2 but that's just, i i don't oh, think because there was... the ghost is holding up a tomb yeah but I, did they they didn't change it like in the movie yeah they did they did yeah they did okay i could i would see i thought i remembered that they did and i was like no they couldn't but have. something to remember about ghostbusters 2 is that so much of it was modeled off of the Ghostbusters animated series, the real Ghostbusters. The, the real Ghostbusters, yeah. So that's that's why Ghostbusters 2 is way more cartoony, is because it's really a blend of the first and the and the cartoon. Yeah. Well, anyway. well no one no one can accuse Robocop 2 of being uh cartoony. <laughs> <laughs> no, Robocop 2, it's it's definitely it's lost that special sauce with Irving Kirshner. And uh, it just is, it doesn't have the, it's not as fun. It's not as fun. You know, RoboCop has like a weird purpley suit. <laughs> I don't know. Like the, the sheen is a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It the, felt like they were trying to force something that, that didn't just, that just didn't, didn't fit. 
Well, I'll tell you something that I did like about it was Tom Noonan as Kane. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Um, He's so good. I I mean, when he comes on screen, you just absolutely love him. Uh, He's completely underutilized in this. Completely. Big Tom Noonan fan. Oh, Um, yeah. Uh, and of course, you and I, I think, first came to know Tom Noonan as Frankenstein in the Monster Squad. Yeah, I think without knowing it, that's how I first came to know him. And I we'll, remember seeing the name in, in, uh, in okay. And, I um, think that is, ro- there, there's I, your Robocop connection. Well, I think that last action hero was maybe the first time that I saw him for like who he was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, you know, similar, somewhat of a similar character here. Yeah. Just a thug although he's more articulate in uh in robocop 2 but i agree so underused um especially uh especially when he becomes robocop 2 i know yeah you've got that weird like lawnmower man visualization yes. of his face oh he's so so yeah. lawnmower man i thought that the vi- the the visual of like his spine and brain and eyeballs was really cool where it's just like we've got the essence of this guy <laughs> And yeah. uh yeah, the I mean the whole like nuke thing was pretty wild. The that kid who's like the little crime boss kid is yeah. uh he's fun. I, I think he was know, in uh, newsies. Oh yes, that's where I recognize him from. Yeah, no, I liked him. That whole thing, like, ah, I can't shoot a kid, can you? Like right. I thought that was yeah. there's a there's a there was like a lot of Gabriel Gabriel Damon. Yes. No relation to Matt. I don't not I know. none to our knowledge. No. But I even remember like I remember the ad campaigns for RoboCop 2 which and I'm going to get to one of the marketing stunts that they did in a moment because mm. it's tremendous. But I remember like the posters just really sucked and it was like just uh-huh. RoboCop's head on like the purple background or or the other poster is like just him like walking through a wall. Yeah, exactly. Like Kool-Aid Man style. Exactly. Yeah. But I think my favorite and I did not see this at the time, but it has come to my attention since my favorite promotion for RoboCop 2 occurred on a pay-per-view for World Championship Wrestling. Oh, I heard about this. Yes. Uh, So World Championship Wrestling, which was not at this time, but at, 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 um, you know, for a few years in the late 90s, uh, it was actually bigger than what was at the time WWF. And this was slightly before that. So we have Capital Combat. In May 1990, Mm -hmm. and basically what happened, so there is a wrestler called Sting, and there was a segment, and the evil, the, the bad guys, the four horsemen, locked Sting in a cage, and then RoboCop comes out and chases off the four horsemen and releases Sting. So (laughs) this was the... uh, The marketing stunt. Marketing stunt. And one of the worst, it's just known, uh, you know, in professional wrestling is just one of the worst debacles. I heard about this uh, because I was listening to an episode of the the Action Boys podcast. Uh Uh, I am a... I'm a Patreon subscriber to only two podcasts, and that is one of them. 
and uh, they did an episode on RoboCop 2 and talked about that. And I don't know, Dan, have you ever listened to Action Boys? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So for anybody who's unaware, first of all, if you want to hear a podcast just about action movies, it's worth the $5 a month to subscribe to the Patreon to hear it. You can hear some episodes for free on the High and Mighty podcast, but it's uh, it's John Gabris, who has been on this podcast before, talking about Double Impact, uh, with Ben Rogers and Ryan Stenger. And before listening to that podcast, I did not know who the two of them were. Of course, I knew John Gabris. And for me... I feel like the funniest person in any room that John Gabris is in is John Gabris. Except when he's doing Action Boys, he is like, I feel like I can sit back with him and enjoy the show that is happening with Rogers and Stanger. And mm. uh, I, I mean, the three of them together are absolute genius in listening to them talk about RoboCop 2 and uh, the wrestling marketing stunt and and all those things is uh is just pure joy it's quite quite something yeah if you ever have a chance to check it out on youtube robocop rescues sting i mean it, it, it's like you know the whole thing with pro wrestling is yes we know that it is that the endings are predetermined and, you know we we it's know entertainment. that it's stage it's characters it's entertainment but you want to be able to you know suspend disbelief you want to get into it and as a wrestling fan it's like you want you want the 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 show that you're watching to be at the level where you're where you forget that and you're just into the performance when you okay. have robocop come out <laughs> Okay, here's here's the way that I'd like to think about it. Dan, you have talked about it before. You're talking about this episode. You are a wrestling fan. Yeah. I I am not a wrestling fan. However, if I am to watch professional wrestling, the way that I like to think about it, and this RoboCop marketing stunt is a perfect example, just imagine that every single person that comes out is being held by a 10-year-old's gigantic hands and they're just action figures that are being played with by a 10-year-old and everything makes sense and it's just they're being bashed together and they're doing all these crazy stunts and they're throwing tables at each other and then all of a sudden RoboCop is there and everything just starts to make sense just imagine that that is how a non-fan describes professional wrestling it's not how you describe it it's how you can Appreciate it if you are in a situation where you are watching it that maybe you didn't choose to watch it. Okay. Yeah. Because it it makes a lot of it make a lot of sense. Anyway, I am not in any way mocking wrestling because I I absolutely see the art in it. It's just a matter of like not all art is for everybody. No, no, it's no, just no, not, no. Yeah. no. Oh, oh, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, yeah, no, the, the RoboCop thing is just, is, is hilarious. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious because you already have that going on. Yeah. Like you do have, you do have performers on this very same show who like are called the road warriors and mm-hmm. dress as though they are from that movie. So 
you're not you're kind of all you're already there yeah uh but yeah the whole robot and it's still um i i don't know that it has ever been like some people say that it was peter weller who did it oh yeah um others say that it it wasn't. I'm pretty sure like Sting himself has said that it was Peter Weller, but I also don't know if that was like part of the deal. <laughs> like you have to say it's Peter Weller. Because I don't know what Turner, uh, Turner might have had some association with that because uh, it was a Turner. Uh, oh, okay. Turner on WCW. Anyway, so Robo, so anyway, um, RoboCop 2, uh, yeah, loses the, doesn't have the satirical yeah. flair. It kind of tries to take on they, I guess they, issues. They try to blend in all of the like the news breaks and the same styles, but yeah, it it misses that satire quite a bit and tries to play it as more of a straight action movie where the protagonist happens to be a cyborg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and so then the antagonist also has to become a cyborg. Now I will now just going back to the RoboCop series because I watched a I just a, a, I watched a little bit of it. Oh yeah. Um, I I will say I found that they kind of went for the tone a little bit more. And I just I have that they were uh, they they mentioned someone going to the uh, Henry Ford home for the morally challenged. Uh, Yeah, I thought I was like I I chuckled at that. And then I think five minutes later I turned it off. But uh, (laughs) um, I thought it was just trying really hard to hit those moments and it became a little too obvious. I just thought that was that was such an intelligent joke mm-hmm. for that. I was caught off guard. Um, it was, it felt very yeah, uh like Zucker Brothers or even if looks could kill Edsel High School, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um a little, a little right. silly. So let's talk about Robocop 3. Let's talk about so prior to recording this episode, you said that Robocop 3 was the only one that you hadn't seen. Correct. So uh, I'll do a little synopsis, then I'd love to hear what you thought about it. Yes. OCP continues its ruthless corporate takeover, leaving the city on a verge of collapse. As crime and corruption run rampant, a brave group of rebels, including the intelligent and resourceful Nico, stands up against OCP's tyranny. Meanwhile, RoboCop, armed with enhanced weaponry and a renewed sense of justice, and later on a jetpack, joins forces with the rebels. Together, they wage a relentless battle against OCP's forces, fighting for the soul of Detroit and the freedom of its citizens. So what'd you think? It was an improvement from RoboCop 2. So, came out in 1993. This one, uh, also written by Fred Miller, however, w- along with its director, Fred Decker of Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about him before. We talked about him recently I forget on what. Oh, because he was a writer on *A Flux Could Kill*. That's right. Right. Yes. 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 That's the connection. Uh, Fred Decker, you know, always a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought that this one was really good. It kind of went back to the heart of RoboCop, and you know, it's I, or I should say Alex Murphy. You know, he uh, definitely has more of the Murphy coming out in this one. Yeah, uh, like I said, you got Steven Root. This one actually has like a really fun cast because you also have Rip Torn. Yeah, yeah, Rip Rip Torn's in it. He he, I was I was a little like 
disappointed, I think, because I was just hoping for the Rip Torn. Like, the when I think of Rip Torn, I think of Artie from Larry Sanders and also his character in Defending Your Life. Uh, Defending Your Life, definitely, which was right around the same time as this. Not 91. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in this, he's he, he's doing more of, he's, I guess, doing a different character. Uh, he's a little more, like, you know, Weasley and... Yeah. Not as not as speaking as of Weasley, but... we also have Bradley Whitford, who is referred yeah. to as a weasel in Billy Madison <laughs> a year later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like you I said, Jeff Stephen Garland. Jeff Garland is the donut guy. Oh, just so good. Oh, yeah. CCH Pounder. CCH Pounder. Who doesn't love CCH Pounder? I forgot. We we didn't mention earlier the the brilliance of Clarence Boddicker. Uh, you know, Kurtwood Smith in Robo in the first Robocop. Well, yeah, we didn't really talk about the the cast of the first Robocop. No, so no. maybe we can, maybe let's talk about Robocop three and then yeah. also this is this is a good opportunity because here we have a different actor playing Robocop. Yes. Because Peter Weller wanted to be in the film adaptation of Naked Lunch and campaigned hard for that role. And Yeah. Uh yeah, and they couldn't work out the schedules, although he wanted to do RoboCop 3. Yeah. Um, but schedules are schedules, and Robert Burke had to step in and not be as good. Yeah. You know, um, you know what, uh, though, I thought the the villain, the, so they have these, like, was it the rehabs? These, um, like, Gestapo that basically, um, these stormtroopers that come in and, like, clear out yeah. poor neighborhoods. And take poor people away to like, I mean, like death camps. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah. I, it's not really specified, but they get they get taken away. Now, the the leader, uh, the leader of those guys, um, I forget what the character's name was. Mick something. Um, McDaggett. McDaggett. Yeah. So yeah. Um, now John Castle. And. Every time he was on screen, it felt to me like his performance was a Rob Hubel character from Human Giant. Like, <laughs> I would like, and not just because the face, like he kind of looks like Rob Hubel, but I was like, yeah. I could see Rob Hubel doing that character as a character. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I could see that. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Robocop, yeah, yeah, Robert Dokui, uh, coming back is uh, Sergeant Reed, the, uh, you know, the uh -huh. Robocop's boss, yeah. uh, who's great. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Allen's back for, for Lewis to play Lewis. Yeah. 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 Robocop three was a lot of fun. PG 13, more kid oriented, um, which is why I thought that the cartoon, uh, didn't start until after Robocop. Yeah. 2. Yeah. You have a, a kid protagonist or a kid that's part of the of the protagonist team who's not a drug dealer who's not a a baddie yeah and uh yeah really really a sweet story i don't know I, it worked for me i was entertained the entire time uh it definitely had a geez i hope i get the is it Conquest for the Battle of the Ape? Conquest for the Planet of the Apes vibe? Is that oh. the one where there's the uprising? Anyway. Is battle for battle the Planet for of the, the Apes. Planet of the Apes? I, or, I, yeah, I guess Conquest is the one where they're already more intelligent apes. Anyway, the one yeah. where there's the uprising. I kind of got some of those vibes. Um, yeah, it, it's it's good. I liked it. 
had like Running Man, had some like Running Man vibes with the, um, you know, waiting for Mick Fleetwood to come out as the head yeah. of the resistance. <laughs> I thought that this one, uh, and maybe it's the Fred Decker of it all, you know, the the connection between the, you know, the Frankenstein's monster and the kid, you know, that kind of uh, connection. Man, really works. no Tom Noonan, though. If only Fred Decker could no have directed Tom RoboCop Noonan. to him. I know. Oh, if only. Yeah. And it's so funny because Irvin Kirshner, it's like you think of him as directing uh, some of the, what some people think of as like the greatest science fiction movies of all time. And, uh, you what know. else? I, I, you know, I'm. Didn't he do like a? Feel like he did a Bond film. I feel, I think he maybe he did Kirchner never did say do, never again. Which one was it? Yeah, never say never again. So uh, Empire was eighty, eighty three was never say never again, and nineteen ninety was RoboCop two. Yeah, and then we we talked about the uh, the remake uh, the remake already. We talked about the remake, the animated series, the comic books, uh, which started at Marvel, went on to Dark Horse Comics, which is based. Out here in Portland, Oregon. I, I think that it's a shame that the Robocop remake in 2014 didn't deliver because it did have so much potential. I think that, you know, Michael Keaton, Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, like it could have gone so right, but it just didn't. In- interesting footnote about that, about mm-hmm. that movie is that I uh, saw it in the theater and uh, it was the last movie that uh, my wife and I saw in the theater before our daughter was born. Oh, no she way. Was, she was quite pregnant uh, when we saw that. The first time that I saw the RoboCop 2014 remake was when I had first moved to Portland. I was in a house waiting. F- I was in a, my new house at the time, zero furniture in it, waiting for some buddy to come do some work in a time window that was nebulous, but I had no furniture or anything. So I sat on the stairs and on my phone watched the 2014 Robocop remake. Wow. That is, I'm like, and I saw it in IMAX. <laughs> I, the, I, the opposite of IMAX. The opposite. Uh, I men. Yeah. Uh, by the yeah. way, there were, there's a couple of other things that I forgot to mention from the, the Robocop commentary that mm. I, I wanted to talk about. So oh, yeah. uh, in uh, in RoboCop, there's a a scene where the the OCP VP who developed RoboCop gets uh, killed by Clarence Boddicker, Kurtwood Smith's amazing character. Yes, and the the doorbell tone is uh, Beethoven's Fifth. Yes, which is supposed to elicit the idea of death knocking at your door. Uh-huh. I I'd never picked up on that before. I loved that. And I also uh I love this fact. So of the the core directives for RoboCop, the first is serve the public trust. Do you want to know where they got that from? No, where? A fortune cookie. <laughs> Isn't that great? That was That's just a fair. fortune and a fortune cookie, and they're just like, hey, RoboCop's directive. Yeah. So I, I have a, a question. Um, did they mention also like the the the, the Beethoven's fit that's dun 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 yeah. also is the doorbell in a clockwork orange at the writer's oh. house. Yeah. Um, which is and now that I think about it, I've and I'd never made that connection, but uh, this is the scene in the writer's house where um yes. uh you know Alex and, and his gang come in and uh and you know, should have been shot in the dick. Yes, should have. Uh, well, 
Uh, which one? He had one on his nose. It, it's kind of a, it's almost, uh, you know, someone coming in and, you know, yeah, violence and wreaking havoc. And in Clockwork Orange, it made sense because the character of Alex is yeah. a Beethoven fanatic. But uh, that's interesting. F- I feel like I knew that at some point about the doorbell, but forgot about that. That's such a great touch. Yeah. Um, also, Miguel Ferrer. Uh, we Miguel we Ferrer. Didn't, we yeah. didn't mention him, but man, he's so. I love him in this movie he plays because Bob. he's so that like. That, that you know uh very much that 80s yuppie yeah um you know just trying trying to get ahead and they're totally lampooning that uh culture too especially in the scene where ed 209 kills the you know uh the the employee who's yeah. who's up there and you know really the the response is just like uh like the uh, like uh the old man uh dan O'Harley um of last starfighter fame uh, right mm-hmm. uh you know he's just kind of like you know rolling his eyes and like oh again um and everyone else yeah. is just and every and everyone else is like oh this is unpleasant no one's like no one's going to need trauma counseling or anything from from watching someone brutally graphically violently murdered yeah. in front of them so i i thought that was another uh really interesting but miguel ferrer is he's so uh you know weaselly and you know full of himself like when he's when he when he's talking shit about yeah. uh about about dick jones one time i called someone asshole <laughs> i just love that line that whole bathroom scene is great, and it's really well done in the our RoboCop remake. Oh, uh, can't wait! So uh, <laughs> there's also, a scene where he's just like taking a shit in the sink. I think I don't know. Anyway, it's great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, while we're on that scene, gotta shout out Ronnie Cox playing Dick Jones. Oh yeah. And then he also uh, uh, he comes back for uh, for Total Recall with uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Verhoeven, but Ronnie Cox, uh, you know. Great. I'm trying to remember. God, what's the other? There's like Deliverance. I'm trying to remember. The, oh, Beverly Hills Cop. That's the other. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the movie where I'm like, yes, that's what I, you know, associate him with that and, and yeah. Robocop. But he's wonderful in it. Nancy Allen. Yeah. Up to this point, mainly like kind of Brian De Palma's. Uh, sure. Like, mm-hmm. she, you know, in a bunch of Brian De Palma movies. I definitely yeah, well, got her. I mean, got her film. start in uh, a movie that I really like. I mean, Hal Ashby's The Last Detail. Oh, oh, yeah. yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, yeah, Nancy Allen, and I've always been. I, I've always. I think I've grown to appreciate her performance in this. I've, I've never felt she fit. Yeah, I, I think that it's good in the first one, but in the subsequent films, I kind of she loses me a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. I want to. I, I kind of want to like download the script and search and see how many times her character says Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, geez, that that'll take you a long time. The amount of times that even that name is mentioned at all. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So uh, for De Palma, back to back to back was in home movies, Dressed to Kill, and then Blowout. I li- I liked her a lot in Blowout. We should blow Carrie. Um. Uh, Carrie as well. Um, well, Carrie, right? That is De Palma. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think she was. But I, I was saying him. that uh, you know, home movies, dressed to kill and blow out, were all made probably within the same year. Oh. Carrie was seventy six. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But it worked with Zemeckis and Spielberg between between those. Oh, right. She was in 1941. 1941 with Zemeckis and I Want to Hold Your Hand. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it worked with a lot of really great directors. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, she, she was in so much. She's still, I guess, kind of acting. Uh, I, I think that right now, uh, I guess the latest things that she's been doing are just documentaries uh <laughs> you know talking about science fiction films and things like that mm-hmm. so but 2012 was uh well i guess she was a narrator that was a documentary 2008 with a movie called my apocalypse that was filmed in 97 weird okay starring ooh, guess who's this guess who stars in my apocalypse in my so it was filmed in 1997 you're never gonna guess do i Col- get a hint uh, <laughs> yeah you're gonna get a hint that's gonna give it away this guy can't lose. Oh, Park, oh, Corin Nemec. It's Corin Nemec, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost just said Parker Lewis. Oh, it's Parker Lewis. Yeah. It's Kubiak. Uh, yeah. Um, um, that guy went on to have a huge career, uh, Kubiak. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. ER. Yeah, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm wondering. I'm, I'm like, you know, why not? Because I'm like, I could definitely see Nancy Allen, you know, doing, doing TV, which, I mean, man, these days you look at shows- not a lot of like, television for uh, for Nancy Allen. I mean, she was in another world in the '80s, but then did like one-off episodes for things like Touched by an Angel, Outer Limits, The Commish, Law and Order SVU. I mean, why can't like put her in a season of The White Lotus or something? Like, you know, you get she's got to be. I wouldn't be surprised if she just showed up and it's just like Is that Nancy Allen. She's got, but she, like, she's the type of actor who who they who gets cast in the in shows like that where she's like oh yes she's back nancy allen robocop she did what robocop robocop 2 robocop 3 oh this, okay uh this is from her wikipedia allen stepped back from acting in 2008 and became involved in cancer support after her friend wendy joe sperber died oh. of breast cancer in 2010 she was named executive director of the we spark cancer support center in Los Angeles. Oh, so, okay. And Wendy Josper. I remember who Wendy was Jospar also in I Want to Hold Your Hand. Zemeckis, Back to the Future. Back to, you're right. She's yep. the, his sister in yep. Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, so good. there you That's, go. All right, Nancy Allen. Yeah. Mad respect for Nancy Allen. Mad respect. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, like John, what are we gonna do with RoboCop? Oh, oh, hold on a second. I'm oh, sorry, but mm-hmm. before, before I, I, before we move on, did you listen? Did you watch the credits for RoboCop Two? I don't remember why. Okay, you gotta go back and just listen to the ending credit music. It's oh. amazing because it's like. It's like like the dramatic music, but then they bring in like the operatic choir of singers going like RoboCop, RoboCop. I it's hilarious. Do not remember that. Oh, I must have check turned it, it off before that. Check. That would be in my remake of RoboCop too. All right, so here's here's my idea. So for those who are who are first time listeners, first of all, on this show we like to talk about these cult and classic movies and how we would bring them back if we were given total fuck you money to just do whatever we wanted with a movie like RoboCop. So my idea, it's a present day sequel to the original series. And the plot is as follows. 
OCP's vision for Detroit and Delta City has failed, and Detroit has been thriving. During an audit of Detroit's municipal storage facilities, Police Academy recruits uh, recruits uncover a dust-covered, totally deactivated RoboCop. One of the recruits sees it as an interesting project and takes it home. After making some tweaks, RoboCop gets turned on and is ready to serve the public trust. But since he's property of OCP and not the police, he is unable to act on his instincts. But with his embedded knowledge and instincts, he has a relentless drive to be a cop. The only option is for RoboCop to rejoin the police academy and climb the ranks the old-fashioned way. And no, Dan, I am not suggesting that it is a police academy movie also. Dang. <laughs> but I, I think that, and first of all, I you know Peter Weller, I think that... Uh, Getting Peter Weller back would be great. Peter Weller, uh, I'm sure he's been in stuff more recently, but I know he was in like the second Star Trek movie of the most recent batch. And uh, he was great in that, uh, you know, doing his Peter Weller thing. Although he was um, he was not a great dude in that one. And in the, it, oh, Star Trek in Into the, Darkness. Oh, Star Trek Into Darkness? Okay. Yeah, I, I saw it. I, I don't remember him. Oh, shit. You know what? Now that reminds me what other movie I was watching recently that wasn't a RoboCop movie. And this is why I was watching it. Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, yeah. Buckaroo Banzai. That's, you know, classic Peter Weller. Yeah. And so I feel like if, uh, you know, it, it perfectly explains why Peter Weller would have aged you know, if he's just sitting in a storage unit, you're <laughs> not being taken care of, then sure, there's going to be some sort of aging process that happens. So, uh, I mean, there's nothing better than that RoboCop Peter Weller voice. I I agree with I agree with that. I yeah. Um. So so that's basically the thing is that like RoboCop goes into the police academy. Well, I you know he he needs to be completely deprogrammed because he's property of OCP and theoretically they probably don't exist anymore or maybe got bought and sold by so many other companies that they don't even have the same, you know, anything that they had before. So, uh, in order for him to do anything that he's capable of doing, you know, kind of needs to go through the process. The only way that's legal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know. I think that that'd be uh, that'd be kind of neat, and I, it's less a story of you know crime fighting and things like that, and it's you know probably something that's you know got a little bit more personality to it, something that's more of an interpersonal story rather than a story about you know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there can be some police corruption or something like that that he uncovers, or who knows, but. That's what okay. I so, or, or, you know, there could be a, you know, the rival academy and like one of the academies is going to get shut down. Robocop has to help keep the academy open by winning the competition. Or we use a, use it as a marketing tool. I guess uh-huh. that's kind of the plot of, uh, Captain America, the first Avengers, you know, it's, oh. it just becomes a propaganda tool, but yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, John, speaking of marketing tools, I feel like the one venue that's been left, um, you know, the one door that was opened that was that was that never fully explored. Well, you know, here we are. It's 2023. And wouldn't you know it? The man they call Sting is uh, still wrestling for all elite wrestling. Is he? And 
Uh, yes. And, you know, it feels like he's kind of moving away from his current, you know, tag team partner, Seattle's own Darby Allen. Okay. And, um, you know, I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to bring Robocop in and, uh, you know, get some payoff uh, from 1990. I'm kidding. That's not my idea. <laughs> oh, um, I, I, it could no. very easily have been your so realistic... Find- it, yeah. it, it, well, as I'm as I'm saying it, I'm like, that's probably the best, like, you know, the best idea. Um, uh, you know, I was I was kind of thinking about it. And first, I feel like anime is a format huh. that would really suit the RoboCop story. And I don't know how much you would, uh, you know, uh, like kind of revamp it, revise it. So that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same. It doesn't have to be the story of of Alex Murth, Murphy, devoted dad and, um, you know, good cop. But I, I feel like taking uh, I feel like that anime style. And I think of like Akira, especially like like there are images from Akira that, mm-hmm. that come to mind. I'm just like, that would be a really cool like a series and uh, with him and, and have bring bring Boddicker into it you could have kurtwood smith do the voice <laughs> still could you have a special appearance by tj laser <laughs> oh, of course you would have tj laser in it and uh yes tj laser's the best um <laughs> i don't know that's that's just kind of what i was thinking was um you know why not revive it as a series with you know in in that in that style, animes, yeah, and you know, yeah, no, I think that's a cool idea. Very popular. It, 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 I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to take place in Detroit. I think that's it. it could be Delta City. You could just call it Delta City. Um, sure. Yeah. It, whatever it is, I, uh, I just, I felt like thinking about all of the different options. I mean, one personally, I would love to see the original RoboCop in the theater. Uh, yeah, would would love to to get some sort of re-release or, you know, every now and again, they'll you know, it'll play at some type of revival house. Oh, of I course. Never, yeah. Th- those it's like impossible for me to make it to any of those. So I, I, I would I would love that there was there was going to be a, we shouldn't we shouldn't sign off before mentioning the plan was it Robocop Returns. That was kind of the planned sequel that I don't think is is happening any longer, but uh, the you know big big screen sequel that was intended to pick up after the original RoboCop and and just kind of drops everything else from you know from the storyline, nuke, Riptorn, everything is is gone, and then they were they were going to do just a a direct sequel to it so well there is an article on looper.com that was written in april of this year so not that long ago uh that alludes to the idea that it's not you know out of the picture Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read from this Robocop Returns has been in the pipeline for a long long time in fact it was intended to be the immediate follow-up to the classic blah 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 however getting a movie made is an incredibly difficult process and multiple issues eventually sank the project back in the day uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Newmeyer Minor Screenplay, which is a Robocop, The Corporate Wars, began picking up steam again in 2016, uh, right when Trump was about to be elected president. 
MGM president John Glickman called and said, do you actually predict in your sequel script that a reality star would run for president and win? We had. This finally got the ball rolling with both Newmeyer and Miner coming aboard as producers, although we're still not sure when the film will actually start shooting. Uh, as of August 2020, the film hadn't been given the official go-ahead from MGM when Sci-Fi asked Newmeyer if there was a formal green light. He responded, no, we're still trying to get a script right. Uh, since then, there haven't been a lot of updates. Um, so it's not dead. It's just, you know, who knows? Stagnating. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. In uh, in July 2018, it was announced that Neil Blomkamp would direct RoboCop Returns. Oh, okay. Uh, the South the South African uh, filmmaker who brought us District 9 and Chappie. And Elysium, right? Did and he, Elysium, Elysium, yeah. But, Elysium, yeah, yeah, but I, why not bring up Chappie if you're going to bring up two? Well, uh, yeah, so... I like Elysium uh, had a bit of a higher profile. Did it? Yeah. Jodie Foster and Matt Damon, it was a summer, like, summer Yeah, release. but it totally shit the bed. Chappie, at least, was did like, it? everybody knew oh. it was going to be ridiculous. Uh, let's see. In August know, 2019, Blancamp tweeted, off RoboCop. I'm shooting new hard, blah, 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 blah. Can't wait. Need to shoot Ro- RoboCop now. Excited to watch it in theaters with other fans. Okay, so maybe he's not part of it anymore. Yeah. Th- anyway, there's, uh, I'll, I'll include the link to this Looper article so everybody can read up on all of the RoboCop Returns news. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe not. We'll see. Maybe they'll listen to this podcast and be like, Ooh, I like that idea. I'm gonna do that. I back mean, to back to police academy. I would yeah, called, honestly, yeah. I would kind of rather see that. Like, I, 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 I love this the original RoboCop. I don't necessarily need to see anything more of you know this this direction. I feel like yeah, the uh, I don't know the police academy. The uh, the original RoboCop will always exist. It'll yeah. always be great, and uh, no new uh, movies, even if it's the 2014 remake, will ever change that. So, enjoy what you want to enjoy. I shall. Okay. So, <laughs> Do you want to tell everyone what we're doing on our next episode? For our next episode, we are going to be taking a look at uh, another film in, involving uh, the, the tragic loss of our of our hero, uh, who st- who who yet still remains to guide us through the film to the light. And I am talking, of course, about 1990s Ghost. So excited, Dan. We're going to get crazy for Swayze again. Yeah. We're going to get crazy for Swayze. It's going to be whoopee awesome. whoopee for whoopee. Yeah. yeah. And well, Demi I, for Demi? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it will be kind of, yeah, it means, you know, kind of so-so. Dem- uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Ghost is a classic. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot of fascinating takes on that classic uh dan as you are riding off in robocop 3's jetpack i wish you a good journey good journey